Hello again and welcome to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM. You, you can go beyond the FM dial if you'd like and you can listen to us outside of the FM area at www.radionorthland.org. Not only can you hear us live and in the moment, but you can also check out this episode uh, if you've missed it. If you, you were out doing something at the time we uh, aired this live, you can check out past episodes, all the great episodes of uh, seven years now. Of uh, It'll be at the end of the year. We'll be finishing up our seventh season of Wrestling Memories Then and Now, a good place to uh, listen to some good conversations with some of the legends, some uh, who have not uh, who have passed on to the great ring in the sky, so it's a good place to go check it out. We're also available on TuneIn. It's an app you can pick up for your smartphone. It's another way you can listen to Wrestling Memories. Hi, I'm Glenn Broggett, and the uh, grizzled vet Mike McCurdy, I think he's out enjoying the uh, cooler temps of Texas right now uh, when he doesn't have to be in his mobile studio uh, sweating away recording wrestling memories he is going to be back here soon before the year is up because i can't allow too much slacking here on the show but while he's slacking we've got a holiday treat uh, here uh, we've got a, one of the true bona fide pro wrestling legends this guy when you go talk memphis professional wrestling uh, you know, since he arrived in the mid 1970s he is totally in the conversation not only with Jerry Lawler, Austin Idol, there's so many people that have came and went, but there is only one superstar. We're going to talk about what this this uh, wonderful, wonderful guest has been up to with his various projects, including a book he put out a few years back that I do believe, if you have a pro wrestling fan in your uh, household, would be a great addition for, especially with the holidays coming up. We'll find out what he's up to today, and we'll go back and dip into the past and let me tell a few of those old wrestling memories. Ladies and gentlemen, the author of If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question. He's a Scot by way of Australia and made his legend in Menfo. We're talking about the superstar, Mr. Bill Dundee. Welcome to Northwestern Minnesota and wrestling memories then and now. Well, I was all Northwest Minnesota. It's a little, I went up there and worked for Greg Gunn in the good old days. Too cold for me, brother. I think you made the wisest choice. It was summertime when we went up there, and it was still friggin' cold. <laughs> Me and Jerry Lawler did a couple of shots for him. Yeah, I can remember that was uh, back when they they threw the the, the tag belts on you. Uh, they did the ta- yeah. the title change uh, in Memphis with. Uh, well, it was around the time with Boris uh, was out and Doug Summers and uh, uh, sold out Ustinov. You guys went over. The good old days, as they say, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the good old days. I mean, you have had a, your fair share of a pro wrestling memories, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to really talk about what the superstar has been up to in recent years. I mean, you have gotten into the uh, area of, of, of broadcasting by way of podcast. Uh, you uh, hooked up with a gentleman by the name of Rex Luther. Now, could you talk about uh, getting into that world, what it's been like uh, to record some of those shows, and uh, where do you see it going uh, for yourself in regards to to doing these podcasts? Well, I mean, that was all new to me. I mean, you know what I mean? We just did the TV Saturday mornings, and then we wrestled Monday nights in Memphis, and that's a kind of 30 years of that. So the podcast business was all new to me, but Rex called me up one day, and he said, hey, you want to do a podcast? I said, yeah, what is it? <laughs> so anyway, we started one, and it's doing good, I think. 
Yeah, I think so too because uh, the way you tell your stories, you're straight up about them, and, and you got some really good good stuff, uh, good content. And I think you may have uh, given old Randy Hales the the bug to uh, put out uh, his own uh, podcast as well, as I've noticed on social media. Uh, oh, Randy Benton Hales, there you go now. I've known him since he was about eight or ten years old or so. I first met him in Jonesboro in 1975, so. I've known him a long time, but Randy Randy's a student of the wrestling business. He he's he's pretty smart. Yeah, he's a guy that, like you said, he started out very young, and he's just had this passion. And uh, it it was just fun to hear uh, you guys, uh, you know, go back and forth, and you know, sometimes take the piss out of one another, but still, you know, you're friends and you're very friendly about stuff. But it's just, you know, that connection that you had. It, it was really made for some pretty good listening. Well, we appreciate that. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, I've known him damn near all his adult life. He was just a kid when I met him in 1975 in Jones, Vermont. And so him and Eddie Marlin grew up to be good buddies, too. So, and Jerry Jarrett. So, I mean, if it hadn't been for Jerry Jarrett, there'd be a couple of guys not around. Jerry Lawler wouldn't be around. Bill Dundee wouldn't be around. Randy Hales wouldn't be around. So, Jerry Jarrett started a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. And, and your pro wrestling story is quite fascinating. I mean, your whole story in general, I mean, that was covered in your book. If you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. I I mean, you, you were a kid, grew up in Scotland. You had, Your first big trip was uh, on a, a ship to Australia. I mean, you're already uh, becoming a world-weary traveler, but, you know, finding yourself uh, in a different land, uh, you know, you, you had some interesting experiences upon hitting the, hitting Australia as well when it came to the, the the circus and stuff. So you had a very curious existence growing up in, in as a teen, both in, in you know growing up in Scotland and of course moving to Australia. Right. I mean, it would, and Australia was so different from Scotland. I mean, for one thing, it's hot most of the time, and Scotland's friggin' cold. It's kind of like Minnesota. <laughs> in the wintertime, it gets freezing. So I mean, going from Scotland to Australia, I really enjoyed the weather, if nothing else. But then I got started in the wrestling business. See, I did judo in Scotland. My uncle had a judo school, so I started off doing judo. And then I went to Australia, and this guy says to me, you need to come work out with me. I said, where are you going to work out? He said, oh, this friend of mine, Clive Corum, teaches on Adam Combat, and he has a school. You need to come down and take a look at it. So I went down there. When I walked into the gym, there was posters all over the wall of him wrestling. Clive Corum wrestling. I said, is that you? He said, yeah, me and my twin brother, we're professional wrestlers. I said, well, I'd like to have a shot at that. He said, would you teach me? He said, well, you're a little small, Bill. I said, well, they've been telling me that the rest of all my life, but David woke Goliath, so let's not get into the size thing. So anyway, we all had a little laugh over that, and he taught me to do the professional wrestling, and here we are 40 years later. And you also uh, did did uh, stuff stints with the, with the circus too. So what you know similarities uh, between that and pro wrestling? Uh, was it like with circus life uh, and and the pro wrestling business uh, when you were younger? Well, when I joined the circus, we joined the thing, and the Englishman by the name of Dale Fisher, he was in charge of the elephant. So he come up to me, he said, what, what, "You know, you from Scotland?" I said, "Yeah." So we just got talking because he was an Englishman, I was a Scotsman both in Australia, so he was in charge of the elephants, so he said, you grew up on a farm? I said, yeah, but we didn't have no elephants on it, the biggest thing we had was a bull, so he said, well, I need help with our elephants, you want to give it a shot? I said, yeah, so we, I 
went with him and we became elephant handlers and well he was that so anyway I became an elephant handler and it was fun for the next two or three years and and then it was uh, into the wrestling business. Now, uh, you started, what was it like to get into the ring, those those first few matches? You know, you're, you're a young man. Uh, when did you feel start to f- kind of feel more confident as you, you were developing uh, your career in Australia? Well, I mean, I, like I told you, I started off in judo, so it's basically the same type thing. I mean, you, you, you the throws and some of the throws and some of the things you do and learning to fall and all that. I had already done all that, so I had that down pretty, pretty pat. So, uh, and I used, to, I thought I was the best there was. So I mean, you know, I mean, I never had no qualms about that that I could do this. The confidence was definitely there for you, and uh, you know, yeah. with, with with Australia, it really did start to pick up with with pro wrestling uh, out there in the '60s and into the '70s. And uh, one of the reasons I think uh, that, that helped out, at least contributed in part to it, was was a man whose name is in every aspect of. Pro, it seems like in pro wrestling, he was there for the beginning or was involved in some development of it, whether it was the television or wherever. And not even only in the United States, but even internationally in Australia, I want to talk about when Jimsy Jim Barnett came in and, and, and how that really affected <laughs> and connected with you. Uh, what, what are your memories of Jimsy and and, and and how he really did uh, kind of help out not only Australia but ending up getting you you know the, the tools you need and, and to eventually make it to the states. Right. Well, I mean, you know, he brought over Mark Lewin, King Curtis, Cole Murphy, Brute Bernard. The Mongolian Stompers, them guys were all big old boys, and I was five foot seven and 195 pounds. So I thought, damn, does everybody a monster in America? Because all he seemed to bring was giants to me, being five seven and 200 pounds. But I was pretty good at what I did, and they all liked working with me, and uh, you know, and I was very respectful to them and the, the thing. So everybody liked me, and I got along good with them. And James E. Barnett liked me, so that's the main thing. The promoter liked me, and he told Mark, Mark Moon was the booker then, and he told Mark, just book that boy as often as you can, so. And then when you're working with guys like that, you you got to learn something. I, see, that's why I feel bad for the kids today. They have no big stars that they work with when they're starting off. They're just working other green guys. Well, what are you going to learn off that? Well, exactly. You you definitely make a good point because, you know, these these days in the 60s, the 70s, and those early days before the, the real true McMahon, uh, Pac-Manning the business, basically, there was the territory system, whether in the States or internationally, where guys could go into various parts of the country, learn their trade, and, and, and learn from veterans, and then move on and keep learning. There was a more of a development thing where I think it's a little, little more sterilized these days where you're just going to a, a performance center. And some people have already had a few years in the business. You go go down there to just relearn one sort of model of, of what wrestling or what sports entertainment uh, they call it is, is in their eyes to be. Right. I've been on shows with a guy. I thought, how long have you been around? Well, I've been around ten years. I said, well, let me refuse this. Let me re- re- reword this. How many matches have you had in this ten years? You know, we work seven days a week. You know. That, for in Australia, the same thing, and then we're in here seven days a week for twenty years. I mean, you have a lot of matches, and but when they're only working one or two times a week, what are you going to learn? Mm-hmm. And then there's no old, old grumpy heel teaching them. That was the good old days to, to put the young, pretty baby faces in with the old grumpy heels, and they would teach you one way or the other. 
And also another th- uh, factor, another thing from, from the bygone era that was uh, more evident was, uh, you know, being a younger guy and finding yourself in a vehicle, not only just in the wrestling and behind, you know, in the locker room, but also in a vehicle too, uh, traveling up and down the, 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 the spot, the shots in the territory, uh, picking up some wisdom and maybe picking up a few other habits, but you're learning to find your way in this fraternity <laughs> of gentlemen. And you definitely know the case, whether yeah. from a young man's standpoint and from when you became established. So, yeah, let's talk about that right i mean just like you said when you're driving up and down the road i i was very careful of who i would ride with i just wouldn't ride with anybody i mean if they did heavy dope or drank a lot i wasn't getting in a car with them and them driving and i certainly wasn't driving you know so i if you didn't have the same kind of lifestyle as me i didn't want to ride with you so i kind of could pick and choose especially in memphis when after we got established and me and Lawler became Lawler Dundee, that's what Memphis was all about back in the 70s. So I could pick and choose who I rode with. So if I didn't particularly care for you, like us, I'm not right. Well, Amy drinks too much or whatever, because that all happened in the good old days, too. I mean, we weren't all teetotalists. No, no, that's for sure. And who were the guys that you did to? Who were your go to guys when when it came to trips? I mean, uh, there could have been many or there could have been few, but who who were the guys that you really had that trust in and knowing that uh, you guys can get from A to B without any real nonsense, you know, and not too awful of nonsense? No, well, I'm looking at a picture right now in my office and the, on the picture it's Jerry Lawler, George Goulis, Jackie Fargo and me. And then there's another one right behind it and it's Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Lawler and me. So they would have been kind of, they were the office, but I was kind of in the office too. So I was, you know, I didn't really ride with the boys because if you're in the office, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I, I would I would about imagine that. I want to talk about a guy when you came over into the states. Now, what led to the final decision to 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 take that chance? I mean, you and your partner George Barnes uh, making it all the way to Memphis. I mean, this was another big move for you in your life. Uh, I mean, you of course made move in move to Australia at a young age. But what was what was the what led to this? How did this uh, get the wheels in motion for you two to uh, to make it to Tennessee and, and work that territory? Well, it sounds. When you just talk about it, it sounds like it may have been a little nerve-wracking or taking a chance or doing this or doing that. But it really wasn't because there was a gentleman by the name of Bobby Shane. He got killed in a plane wreck in Florida in 1975. And he was the booker for Barnett in Australia. And he was actually the one that called Jerry Jarrett and got us booked. And then he was coming back to the States. And we was, if it didn't work out in Tennessee, we was going to go to Florida with him. So... It was a kind of laid out, but when the plane wreck happened and he got killed, that was it. Kind of, and then George got homesick and went home, and then there was little old Bill by himself. So and I never, and when you're younger, you don't think of things that you know if it can go wrong, it's always positive. It was with me, so. But that was the thing there. With there was no real, well, what would you say, taking a chance because Bobby Shane was going to book us in Florida if it didn't work in Tennessee. But he got killed in the plane wreck, so then George went home and then just left me by my lonesome. So that was maybe the best thing, not him getting killed or, you know, or anything like that. But George went home and left me as a baby face by myself, so they switched me baby face, and 40 years later, here we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 most most definitely, uh, 
you uh, it didn't sound like it was uh, some whim that you went on and something you agonized over because you did have that security in the form of, of Bobby Shane and that's just a guy you know I mean that that accident I mean really wiped away what what could have been a lot of potential and a lot of different ways the pro wrestling business could have moved in uh, uh, in, in those territories down in Florida whether it be Florida or, or in Memphis with with if Bobby would have survived in that if we're playing fantasy scenario right. And he was very smart. I mean, he was just a young guy, but he was very smart at the business. He was, you know, he was, and, and he was in, you know what I mean? He, he was very good at booking. Mm-hmm. And that's what Barnett brought him to Australia for, and they drew a lot of money. Let's talk about when you, you get to Memphis and you, you start to encounter some of the guys in the locker room. Uh, t- take us in, and, and who were some of the guys uh, you first uh, you kind of got to know? I mean, aside from just working in the ring, but just you guys, I mean, with, with Lawler and the like. But who were the guys that were welcome welcoming, I guess, when you when you got over to the States? Well, Jackie Fargo was a, was a character, and he was, he was a star when we got here. So Fargo was over like, you know, Santa Claus. I mean, that was... He, he was the man, and then Lawler was his buddy, and and, and even George Nick Goulas. I mean, George's Nick's son, George. I mean, he was a bit more of a basketball player. He was six foot six, big old, tall, dangly fella, but he was the boss's son. So what could you say or do? You just had to be nice to him. But anyway, but Fargo was a character, and we go along good with him. But like I said, if, if you did, if you didn't live my kind of lifestyle, I wouldn't ride with you. <laughs> so it wasn't hard picking up, you know, Tommy Rich when he was just a kid. I looked at kind of Tommy, me and Tommy would be good friends. He was 18 when he got in this business. So I don't know if we all had to <laughs> help on some of the wild things he did, but what did you say? Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was fun. And Lawler never did drink or do nothing stupid. He never did drugs and none of that, never drank. He never did nothing, you know, so... He had other vices, I guess, but he never drinking wasn't one of them. But Fargo, he would drink a little sometimes. Sometimes in the dressing room, he'd have a shot or two, but that's another story. Yeah, the reliability, I guess, with, with Jerry as far as uh, not drinking was probably just more than added, uh, as well as what he was developing in his own character and his own skin uh, to start kind of uh, taking over and becoming more of a, 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 of, a, of a top act. But you know what? With every Jerry Lawler, though, building him, you know, building his rise, I mean, he needs a quality opponent. And when people talk about Jerry Lawler... Bill Dundee is right in that same sentence. I mean, you guys uh, both brought each other's games uh, games up, whether it be in a tag team or in a feud. It was just kind of this chemistry that you guys had, whether you liked each other or not, whether you were going to go out for uh, you know lunch afterwards or dinner. Yeah, that that didn't matter. But so it was what you did, that, that connection that, that, that you had. That never happened in them days. They never let you do all that. I mean, if anybody caught you doing that, they didn't the good old days, they would fire one of you. So back in the good, the kayfabe was very strong back in the 70s. Well, up until, I don't know when it went out the hell. The young kids today haven't got a clue what the wrestling biz was like, you know, 40 years ago. But it's just one of them things. So, I mean, nobody, you didn't hang around with your opponent, I can tell you that. And boy, did you uh, you and Lawler worked some some great matches, great feuds, great angles. I mean, you you, you mean the things and the things that the antes that you guys upped through the years. I mean, uh, can you remember some of the first times you did actually work with with Lawler and and what was it like to work with Jerry at, at that point when he was developing and you were uh, you were pretty experienced coming in, but you were learning more of the American style. 
Right. Well, I mean, Barnett had brought all American. So me and Barnes had been 12 years in Australia together with for Barnett. So we wasn't exactly greenhorns when we got here. We may not have been top stars in Australia, but we, we, we learned the craft and we learned the business. So when Bobby Shane told Jerry Jarrett, hey, those guys will draw you money, and he gave us a shot, we did. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, we, we kind of, we knew the business. And that's what the kids are not learning today. It's just a different kettle of fish, I guess. But I'm glad I had my run 40 years ago, not now. Yeah, it's definitely a, a completely bizarro, flipped over ball game. Because when you look about, especially when it comes to TV, I mean, the territory days, and and it's become legendary through the years, through documentaries and, and books and all kinds of things. The legend of Memphis television and just what, uh, just how big, uh, how it was in that area on Saturday mornings with uh, Lance Russell and Dave Brown. I mean, TV studio wrestling. And now if you told a kid about TV studio wrestling, a younger fan nowadays, they would probably, uh, I don't know what they would make of it, uh, you know, but that was the norm, the TV studio, because that was the place where you you sizzled. You sizzled up things so you could get the people to come out to the Mid-South Coliseum or through whatever uh, towns were on the swing. You know, you needed to get that sizzle, and that's what that program brought. But boy, did it bring with it a built-in audience, and it brought in some really great crowds for a long, long time at the Mid-South Coliseum. Right, and and that that was just an ad. Saturday morning was an hour. We had an hour and a half TV every Saturday morning. That was an ad to get you to come Friday night. I mean Saturday night. And and here's the other thing: they would bicycle the tape around, but it was an hour and a half in Memphis, but it was only forty-two minutes in every other town we went. So they would have to, you know, cut the tape down or make, you know, just. So Memphis was done live, and the other they made a tape. Yeah, the other one they sent it to Louisville, to Evansville, to Lexington, Kentucky, and all the other towns that we did. So it was fun, and it was different, and it was unique. And you had, uh, you know, the announcers. I mean, those are the guys that were kind of navigating the ship here, uh, keeping the show on pace aside from the action. And uh, and a guy that when you, you you talk about Memphis again, in the same breath as you and Lawler and, and Jarrett. It was Lance Russell. Now, what are your memories, you mean, meeting with Lance Russell and just getting to know and being around him through the years? I mean, there was this was a guy that was just a big, 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 big part of it. And he's he got before up to his death. He still received a lot of love and affection from the old school and even some of the newer school fans alike. Oh, Lance was a good old boy. I mean, him and Jared had their ups and downs and they, they fell out a couple of times. But that, that's neither here nor there. We all did that with Jared, but that's being the promoter, I guess. So it was just, Lance was very good at what Lance did, and so Dave was very good at what Dave did. But here is the thing, don't get away from this thing of the good old days. The Fiend Booker was the guy that laid the TV out, went over the TV, and everything that happened, nothing happened that the Booker didn't know was going to happen. I don't know if they do that today or how it's done. But believe me, when Jerry Jarrett was running late TV out, he was in that dressing room laying out TV and telling everybody what he wanted, and you better do it the way he wanted it. So Lala learned from him. I learned from him. Targo learned from him. So it was just, Jerry Jarrett was very smart at this business. And and he was, well, you know, he's, and so that, that, I don't know if they still do that today. I mean, I go to towns on the Friday and Saturday, but there's no booker, there's nobody really knows what they're doing. 
They're all going into the ring and they think jumping off the top rope onto the floor is wrestling. Nothing to do with wrestling. But anyway, that's what it's all about. But the booker was the guy calling the shots back in the good old days. And if you didn't do what he asked you to do or tell you to do, you was out the door. Absolutely. You are listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now with superstar Bill Dundee. He's got a great book. If you have not bought this book, what is your problem, man? It's If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question. He has a great podcast as well that you should definitely check out. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things. Uh, one of the things in your book, uh, we'll go a little bit out of the, uh, we'll, we'll, still, we'll get all the non-wrestling stories, but there was one story uh, in particular uh, with an encounter with uh, a musical legend. And of course, in Memphis, uh, you, you probably uh, could walk just a few feet and run into a musician. But anyway, uh, in one of your stories, you do talk about an encounter with Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, what you mean that was that sort of a common practice everyone occasional thing to, to, to run into these musicians and, and to have them uh you know question you because you were a fake wrestler or something what, what, what was the deal with that was it a mostly cordial thing and jerry lee was an isolated incident no the, the killer's all right i mean him and i became pretty good buddies along the way and we'd be you, you you knew where they drank or where we drank or whatever where the nice bar was so if you went they would be there you know, they, they may have played somewhere else, and on the way home, they stop at this other bar. So you did. So anyway, that was kind of what happened that day with Jerry Lee. So we we was at somebody booked us both on this on a show, and, and that, it, that he, Jerry was on the stage doing his thing, and the the, <laughs> the MC went up to him and said, "Hey, Jerry Lee, you got to get off here." Blah 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 blah. And he said, Bill Dundee's following you. And he said, if you think I'm getting off this stage for that fake-ass wrestler to come on here, you are wrong. So I went down and had to say a few words to him, but that's another story. By the time I got down to the killer the edge of the stage, two bodyguards were there looking for me. <laughs> but anyway, nothing really happened of it, but it was just one of them things. Did you make other friends with guys in, in the music industry, uh, like like Jerry Lee? I mean, I, you guys had a little incident, but it turned out to be all right. Was there other guys that uh, yeah, hung around wrestling? Yeah, one of them things, yeah. Yeah, like I said, you knew where the bars were, and the people would go to the same bars. If it's a nice bar, and we like it, they like it too. So you, you would run into them here and there, but they were, they were like us. They were running six, six, you know, running around on the weekend playing music somewhere, and we was running around wrestling somewhere. So... If you was in town at the same time and then at the same bar, yeah, you would see him. You never saw the King Elvis, but you would, you would, <laughs> you sometimes you would see some of his henchmen in the bar just looking around, I guess. But anyway, they were the good old days, as they say. But the killer was a good guy, Jerry Lee, and he's still around. He was supposed to be one of the, the wild ones, and he's still going 80 years old, right? Yeah, he's still out on tour. He played uh, in Minnesota here last summer. So, I mean, that guy's got fire in his belly. Oh, was, well, he's a Cajun for one thing, and then him and Mickey Gilly was, you know, and Jimmy Swaggart, they're all, you know, the same family. Yeah, and they are all, from what was the story, what, they were all taught by the same uh, aunt or something about, or to play the pianos, and they all, and they all took yeah, the piano to their own. Say, yeah. yeah, so, but yeah, we just had them one couple of words at one time, but we've everybody's had words, so you know what I mean, we in a bar drinking, you, you you say things sometimes, but so. But I've seen him two or three times there. You know, well, more than two or three times since that day. But they were the good old days, and that was just that one time, and never happened again. So, 
Now we're going to bring the conversation into the 80s now, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, Memphis and uh, their association with uh, a company that I grew up watching, the American Wrestling Association, uh, with some talent exchange. Of course, uh, Nick Bockwinkle would come down to the territory. Uh, could you talk about uh, when when Nick and some of the AWA would, would be a part of, of Memphis in that uh, early part of the 1980s? I know uh, they had previously an arrangement with the NWA, but uh, things kind of went a different way for a while for, for them uh, in regards to Memphis. Yeah, I mean, Jared made a deal with Ganya to use his champion, which was Nick Bockwinkle, so we, we never used Harley. We did to begin with, but then we got where we was using Nick. You could get Nick easier and you could get Harley, you know what I mean? So when you booked the champion, you with the NWA champ, maybe, I don't know if it was a bigger territory back then he was running, but you could get Bockwinkle easier on a short notice than you could Harley. So that's how Jared kind of changed over to the AWA and Buckwinkle was a hell of a worker and a hell of a guy, classy act so it, it, it drew money so that's all that matters, that's what the name of the game was back then, money and the thing is, too, there was a little bit more of a recognized uh, thing with, with an AWA Southern title. Things were, So that was kind of like great to see a talent exchange when you had a guy like Nick Bockwinkle. I mean, this guy made it up to, uh, well, he, he retired when he was in his early 50s. But even at that point, when you watch some of his stuff, uh, he did some great stuff in Memphis. But even in his latter part of the career, the last couple of years, the things he did with uh, a younger Kurt Hennig, uh, I mean, this was, uh, I don't know, he was just had such great... Uh, uh, stamina. He he just knew how to work. I mean, he, it was Nick Bockwinkle. Nothing. Yeah. yeah, not much said. Yeah, he was he, he was a hell of a talent and a hell of a guy. Classy act. He, I mean, he, you know, he was class in and out of the ring. So, I I like working with him. Mm-hmm. And, and as, as Memphis started to, uh, you know, in the ni- early 1980s, uh, bigger angles started showing up. A lot of angles you were involved with, uh, I mean, the, there was the Andy Kaufman thing, but that has uh, been talked over to death. But I, I want to talk about uh, what led uh, you to uh, head out to, and get down to, to Bill Watts and, and start kind of working more and showing your uh, others, you know, not just your wrestling side, but your booking side and, you know, and being able to put that talent on display and the great results that uh, it did reap uh, for your time with Watts. Well, we we would go to the office on every day at Jarrett's and, you know, in the office, so he says, hey, Bill Watts is coming over to see us today. I said, yeah, okay, so Watts showed up at the office. And I was just sitting there on my little chair at my desk listening to them two talk. I mean, and they were doing this and that and blah, 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 and Bill was telling him how his business was on its backside. It wasn't drawn. And so they wanted to swap a few talents to different guys, and so they were going to change wrestlers. So... Bill was getting ready to leave, so Jerry Jarrett said to him, I don't know if he actually said it in jest, or he was in the, but he said to Watts, he said, hey, Bill, before you leave, you ought to talk to that little son of a bitch over there about being your your booker. So and I thought, well, okay. So he said, Bill called everybody stud back then. Hey, stud. So he said, hey, study, you ever thought about making a move from Memphis? I said, well, yeah, thought about it, but they look after me good here, and I'm doing good, so... He said, well, why don't you come to Houston, Texas next Friday? They were doing Houston. Paul Bosch is down. He said, I'll fly you down there and come in and take a look around and don't tell nobody what you're doing there. Just walk around and take notes and do whatever. And So I went to Houston. 
Mm -hmm. Bill came into the dressing room. He said, what do you see? I said, well, you can do with some help here, brother. So anyway, he said, are you interested in the job? I said, well, yeah. So I went home and told Miss Dundee. I said, hey, we're going to Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, she went. And we were there for the next two or three years and made a lot of money. And that's the kind of where I got allowed to be the booker, booker, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. That was my job. It was my responsibility to keep the towns up. And see here, when we went Lawler and Jarrett, you, you had the help. But down in Louisiana, I was there by my little old self. Well, no, that's not true. Jim Ross was very smart in them good old days. So Jim Ross was in the office. So, you know, we'd run stuff by one another and things like that. So... But we got clicking with the two or three best years that Bill Watts ever had, so he'll tell anybody that. You know, I've been on shows with him, and he said, hey, that little son of a bitch over there made me more money than anybody in the wrestling business. And people can watch those well, tapes today from those two years that you uh, you turned that company around, man. And there's still generations can check that out just to see what how the transition became uh, when you when you started taking the book. I mean, it was you can watch the progression. You can see that all, whether on YouTube or on the WWE Network. Right, and and that would uh, he'd say one day I don't know if he was just having a bad day, but we, we, I brought Ricky and Robert in, Terry Taylor in, Magnum TA was already there. Me, Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry, them guys are not giants. I mean, they're, they're a little bigger than me, but, you know, none of them are giants. They're not JYD size or Jim Duggan size. They're just normal type guys. So he says to me one day, hey, Stud, you're not going to fill this place up a midget, are you? And Miss Watts was there. And she said, Bill Watts, you need to take a look at your checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all she said. And he just gave one of them looks, and that was the end of the conversation. But... So, oh, and you took chances on guys like you know with with Terry Taylor, who was a very talented hand, but he needed just a little more of a push and a profile. And and Terry Allen, I mean, a guy who was working his way around the territories. This was a guy that uh, was going to become big box office. Uh, he eventually did until his uh, career was cut short uh, with Crockett. Right, but here is the thing, and I'm not saying Anthony Ladd was the booker. Ernie Ladd is six foot seven or six foot friggin' eight and three hundred pounds big. How's he going to tell Ricky Morton and Bill Dundee and Robert Gibson what to do? The 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 the, the kind of matches is all different. You know what I mean? The, the, the puppet only dances as good as the puppeteer. So if you have a six foot eight guy as the booker, how's he going to tell a five foot seven guy what how to do? The the, the work's all different. So that was what it was, and Ernie and I liked Ernie, and I got along good with him, and he was a hell of a worker for a big guy. We used him in and out of Memphis back in the good old days, too, drew money. But he had been at the end of his rope, and he didn't quite know what to do with the smaller guys. But anyway, but I had a hell of a run in there, and Bill Watts still puts me over. If he's talking to people, Bill Dundee made him the most money in the two or three years he was there than, you know, at the, the time. So that's kind of good. Yeah, he I think made me a lot of money. I think so. I think that's a hell of a deal, man. But you know, it was quite a a, a difference between that and uh, your chance when you worked for for Jim Crockett. I mean, the comparisons between uh, Watts's company <laughs> and Crockett. I mean, let's just be honest here. Let's talk about JCP. Not only uh, the the Mid Atlantic area, but also uh, your time in Central States. But first of all, the comparisons. I mean, obviously. I mean, you you lived with right. it. You worked with it. 
Yeah, well, we, I went to Central States. I mean, I, I like Dusty Rhodes. The big Dust was, you know, you had to, if you knew him, you, you know how he was and what how he was. And everybody, you know, so he was the head honcho there. When I went to watch, as I had, it was my nuts that was on the line. I was the man that they, he's the booker and what he says goes, blah, 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 blah. Well, for Crockett, we was one of five. Mike Graham, Vern Gagne, Bill Dundee. There was three or four guys on the on the committee. So it, it wasn't like just my nuts on the line. There was other people. So you, it wasn't that, that you, you never had this. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? You, you never had the damn, well, if I don't do good, it's my fault. There was four, three or four other guys in it was a little less your feet to the fire when you had a group. When instead, when it was you, you were taking it. You were taking that ball, whether you were going to score or not. You, it was you with the damn ball. It wasn't a group, a little consortium. Right. right. But I enjoyed the watch territory, and I enjoyed Crockett. I mean, Jimmy was kind of funny little fellow. I wouldn't want to say little, but I mean, but he, I think I got along good with him. I mean, so. But, you know, Big Dust was the booker, and you had to run everything by him, so. And I like some of the stuff I that. I like Dusty Rhodes. I mean, you know, I, we all have our faults, and I'm sure Dusty had a few, too, but I got along good with him, and that's the main thing. He treated me good. Yeah, and, and some of the stuff that I remember watching uh, as a kid, and then I've rewatched uh, with uh, the World Championship Wrestling Show out of Georgia, was uh, something that happened in Memphis as well. And, uh, boy, when you two got together, man. Buddy Landell, I mean, the two of you, I mean, they should, oh, I mean, I know Buddy had his problems and stuff, but oh, if things could have uh, flown right, man, you two were, I thought, uh, very uh, underused because, man, you had so much potential in those interviews, the way you two connected, I mean, it was a magic combination uh, with you and Buddy Landell. Right, I mean, and we like one another, that's the other good thing, I mean, if you have a tag partner or, or you know, in life, if if, if you like the person, you, you you know what I mean, you get along good, you do different things, you, your, your attitude's all together different, and me and Bud never really had a crossword, oh, he would show up with a hangover, or, or and I said, buddy, if you went to bed last night, instead of staying at that damn bar, you wouldn't be feeling bad, you know, just that kind of stuff. But we would all do that back in the good old days. <laughs> and uh, I want to talk, I mean, you guys uh, did, did have some, uh, you know, history footnotes uh, when it came to your run uh, with uh, Crockett uh, in the NWA. Uh, you were involved with, uh, well, it, it was around for three years, of course. Uh, eventually, of course, Crockett sold the Turner, so that kind of just put the, uh, the whole concept into the can. But uh, you were part of this big tag team tournament. I remember this Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup you and Boudreaux were in. And uh, you ended up working with uh, Terry Taylor and Steve Williams. So you talk about uh, all of these tag teams getting together. I mean, that's a lot of things to book. I mean, what, what were your thoughts uh, on the, the Crockett Cup that you, that you can recall? Well, the, the main thing, the, the way I looked at it, or do the deal, it's like you have to know the end of the movie before you shoot the beginning of the movie. And that's when you're doing that type of tournament. you got to know who's going over. So if you have 10 tag teams you got to know what direction to go with each one, you know what I mean? So it it, it looks more complicated than it really is. Well, Landell and, and Dundee is going to make it to the end. Or Terry Magnum TA and Hacksaw Butch Street, they're going to be next to the end. So as long as you know where you're going, it's not as complicated as it looks. 
You also had uh, was on the you know representing with the central states. Uh, you you uh, took on uh, Sam Houston. You had a feud with him uh, around uh, late fall of '86, uh, uh, which also was included as a match on their 1986 uh, card, Starcade, which kind of combined. Uh, you know, area they did a multiple town thing for a while where they had a few matches in Atlanta or a few matches in Charlotte. But what can you remember working with with Sam, uh, another guy that had a lot of promise, a second generation guy, but also had some of his own battles to fight as well? But demons, can you remember? He had a lot of demons, for God's sake. I mean, I, I, and, and for a young, good looking kid, I just don't know how life got to him the way it did, but it did. And he had a, you know, he's. But I like working with him, and I like him as a person. Grizzly Smith was his father. You know, Grizzly Smith, he was Bill Watts' henchman. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I like Grizzly when I worked for Watts, so I kind of knew. And, you know, and Jake the Snake was his brother, too, so there's another one. So the whole family could work. Yeah, just a, a And then the girl, what, what was the girl's name, the sister? Uh, she went by the name, of, her wrestling name was Rock and Robin. Yeah, Rock and Robin, that was another one of the family, so they were all connected. And uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit more here. Uh, we're going to kind of get towards the home stretch of our interview today because I want to talk just about uh, you actually getting down and, and writing this book a few years ago because, you know, you were, you were from that old school. You were part of the, the, the code, of course, the code of K and, and, and kayfabe, where a lot of the stuff you did, you were staying in character. You talked earlier in the interview about not being seen with your opponent because that would be frowned down upon because you have to create the image the illusion and the image that you two are heated rivalries and you're not going to sit and eat together at the Waffle House. But, uh, yeah, right. let, let's, let's talk about how uh, you uh, finally decided that, hey, I'm going to start, I'm going to put this story down. I'm going to get this story together. My life story is going to be put in print. I, I don't care anymore. The kayfabe thing, I, I'm over it. When did you decide that, to put this together and, and get a hold and get in touch with Mark James? I've known Mark James since he got in the wrestling business. So me getting in touch with Mark or Mark getting in touch with me. So when you go to them local shows, nobody kayfabe no more. I would be the one, hey, man, just keep your ass in the dressing room. You don't need to be walking out there. Your opponent's standing in the hallway. Oh, well, you know, you'd get a smart-ass answer off the kid. So I thought, well, if they're doing it, I'm just as well to make a few dollars either way. I'm the only one. They all think I'm an idiot kayfabing. So I'll just write my own little book, and here we go. So that's kind of why how I got it in my head to do it, to, to break kayfabe or whatever. They, I hate using that word, but whatever they call that. But that's, yeah. So, And the reason I named the book that, if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question, because the young kids would come back in the dressing room and say, hey, man, watch a match. How was it? It was terrible. <laughs> but they didn't want that. So I said, well, don't ask the question. You asked me a question, how I thought your match was, and I'm telling you what I thought was. But they didn't want to hear that. They wanted you to tell them how great they were. So I know my little book. If you don't want the answer, don't ask the question, right? So if they wouldn't say, hey, Bill, I was my match, I wouldn't have to tell them it sucked. And that's just a perfectly direct, to-the-point way of explaining things because we, we get way too much in society today where everything has to be, uh, you know, given with, uh, you know, a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. And, you know, and, and that's gotten even worse because everybody needs to be padded. It's the participation ribbon of life. Uh, everybody's uh, getting credit for showing up, but it's what you do beyond showing up. And it's how you become a student to the game where I think this is a message that's lost on some of the, the, the wrestlers today. Don't you think that 
that it, just so many things right. that, that, yeah. that they're not picking I mean, up on. And that's why I picked that, that title, because it's true. The kids would come in and, oh, hey, how's my match? And you tell them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I learned that somebody, oh, grumpy heel would say, hey, that sucked, and this is why it sucked. But so if they don't answer the question right, when I tell them it sucked, and I don't tell them why it sucked, I just know it sucked. So, you know, that's just how, how it is. But if, if they say, well, tell me how it sucked, then I'll try to explain to them. But if they're not interested, I don't. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you know what? They should be smart enough to listen to, to, to the honesty that you're laying out because, I mean, you had a great career and you are still doing this. Set. You're still putting up, you know, making appearances. You're still working. Uh, what is that? Yeah, 75 years young, still working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you have well, you could you're still doing things right though. Where a lot of these kids haven't even learned the concept of of, of right, and uh, you keep yourself going. And a lot of people is just is, you keep going. What what is the secret? I mean, you, you keep, what's your workout regimen? What what is what is the key for you to keep yourself in the game like that and just keep yourself good in in health and in life with your wellness? Right. Well, I mean, I've always, if it wasn't fun, I wasn't doing it. I mean, I've kind of tried to live my whole life like that. If I go out on a Saturday night, I'm not going to have to be miserable. So if I go to the bar and the bar is sucking, I'm going home. Or if I go to a movie and I don't like the movie, I'm going home. So life is like that. So in the wrestling business, if I went to the ring and it was miserable, I wasn't going. Now, when I say miserable, guys like Billy Robertson, Tony Charles, Adrian Street, all wrestlers, wrestlers. They'll put themselves in holes and do this and do that, and do, you know what I mean? So, But I, I could do that style too, so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed working with Billy Robertson. I enjoyed working with Adrian Street. I enjoyed working with Tony Charles. Them guys were all wrestlers, wrestlers. I haven't watched the Vince McMahon show in 10 years, I bet you. So I couldn't even tell you who's on it. But what you have noticed uh, in 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 the independence, though, is uh, you know, is it is it something that's uh, that can be uh, remedied? Do you think there's going to be some kids that out there that are going to get it, or is there hope for them on on the level that you see at the shows that you you have been a part of? Right, that that is the word you just said. The word get it. That if if you don't get it, you don't understand what this business is about. And and back in the good old days when. You, and somebody's teaching, and one day you just go at the ring and say, wow, I know what they're talking about now, and it all becomes easier to you. You know, I mean, I just know what I did, doing five foot seven and 210 pounds, but I made money at it, and I worked on top. And even today, you're still taking uh, bookings and stuff. Let's uh, talk about what you've got going on here. Uh, I mean, I just don't want to ask you a bunch of questions about the past. I want to know, what what do you have up to... Uh, in present day and, and upcoming here as we uh, get towards 2019? Well, I mean, I work usually Friday or Saturday night. You can usually get booked Thursday, Friday, Saturday to somebody running somewhere. And, you know, so I still work the weekend and I go to the gym every day and lift weights. So, I mean, life is very enjoyable right now. I mean, I don't have to wrestle. I do it because I like it. I think an old grumpy heel way back in the 60s went to me and said, hey, kid, don't matter how much money you make, you need to save some of it. And that's, you know what I mean? So I've tried to live that. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I know a lot of guys that's made more money than me, but they're broke. And you're still out, and you are still out there, and you are still very relevant uh, to, to us fans here in the pro wrestling business and for those potential wrestlers 
who are out there you know, applying their trade. If you're on a card or an event with Bill Dundee and you want some blunt honesty about what you're doing and you're not going to cry about it later, I think you should more be more than happy to ask this man because you're going to learn. You're not, you may not get always the things you want to hear, but you're going to learn. Right, and that, that's how it was taught to me. I mean, you know, you'd work with a grumpy heel, and you would, you would think you were doing great, and you'd come back, and he would tell you 10 things you did wrong. It hurts your feelings, but you just have to get up and go on. And that's where I think it's not happening. Like I said, I don't really watch professional wrestling. I don't watch Vince's show. I don't. So I, I can't really tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't tell you who'd... Hulk Hogan was his champion last time I watched his show, so that'll tell you the last time I watched it. <laughs> now the Rock, because Rocky Johnson was a friend of mine, and he would come to my house, and Rock, the Rock would come to my house and play with Jamie when we were both little kids. So I would kind of take interest in the Rock, but you can watch a movie now and see him, so you don't have to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. Now, before uh, we we wrap up here, uh, Bill, do you have any uh, places where a fan could uh, check out uh, some some Bill Dundee, uh, whether it be on Facebook or whatever social media we can get a hold of you at? Uh, uh, Bill, whether it be even to book you, uh, you know, I, you, I hear you have all kinds of different services you may be able to offer here. But yeah, let's talk about where we can get a hold of Bill. Well, the easy. This is what I do. I'm, I'm old school. I, I'll give you a phone number. Anybody wants to write it down, they can get hold of me by telephone. Okay. Do you have the number there? Can you put it on your thing and send it out? You have the number, don't you? I absolutely have the number, and I will send it out in uh, the, the uh, description uh, of the program. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you want to go to Bill Dundee, talk anything, talk wrestling, talk anything, we can do that. So, yeah. But, I, I mean, I can work the computer. I can do this and I can do that, but I'd rather talk to you on the telephone. And you can give him a call, and uh, you can also listen to his podcast, which is excellent. It's uh, good stuff. It, uh, it doesn't have many bells and whistles. It's straight-to-the-point talking and uh, some good questions being asked by uh, Rex Luther. And uh, even once in a while, good old Randy Hales comes out of the mothballs and wants to chat pro wrestling. So you have a lot of fun with that show. Yeah. So, I mean, old Randy Benton Hales has been around since I've known him since he was about 9 or 10 years old. He would show up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. <laughs> and he's with you uh, even today. Well, I mean, I want to thank you yeah. so very much for taking time out of uh, your schedule, man. And uh, I, I, the door is always open if you ever want to come back on the program. We'll do some themed show or something, and we'll we'll get into a, a, a deeper into a subject. This was kind of a get to know our, for the listeners out there who uh, may know the name but haven't heard what's up with, uh, these days with uh, Superstar. All right, brother, I appreciate it, and we'll do it again sometime. Like you said, I really enjoyed it. All right, thank you for the superstar, Bill Dundee. I'm Glenn Brockett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now.